We are, and, and normally, you know, we, sometimes we gobble big chunks of text because we really want to be sure that we don't lose the forest for the trees and we see lots of uh, sort of context and we sort of make sure that we're kind of put into the middle of it. And then we have these verses that are so foundational. They're so important that, to be honest, we really just, well, let me say it this way. You know, we, um, Suzanne and I had once had taken a trip to the Louvre uh, because we were looking for a particular painting that wasn't there, by the way. Uh, was that the Musée d'Orsay? Was that right? Uh, and so we went, Les Disciples. You know, just, there's just this picture of Peter and John running to the tomb, and their eyes are lit, and I just wanted to see it, you know, for, for, for uh, I just wanted to see it for in person. And I'm just enjoying it and watching it happen. But we're running through the Louvre, if you can imagine that. Try, I mean, running through all these beautiful works of art, looking for a piece that's not even there, and ultimately finding the piece that we were looking for in another, and then stopping and just going, this made the whole trip worth it. You know, as much as, you know, I'm kind of like waved at Da Vinci or, you know, as Michelangelo, and there's all of these other amazing artists that you get to sort of kind of wink at on your way through. Uh, and the reason I say that is this is that painting for me, these verses right here. So let's, um, let's we're going to go to the Lord in prayer, but let's read the two verses, the verses 10 and, uh, John 10, verses 10 and 11. Uh, he says this, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now, that will be a launch pad. It'll be a diving board for a beautiful pool that will follow from verse 11 onward. But for our context on this, we're going to dig into these couple of verses. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's have some fun. Pray with me, would you? <clears throat> God, I thank you so much for the opportunity for the, that you've given me here in this room with these friends, to turn to your word and expect you to speak. So I pray, Lord, your word would burst open and come alive and jump every hurdle. There are some that are cultural. There are some that are language. There are some that are age-based. There are some that are just in regards to life experience and we come in with our own uh, hesitances. Uh, Lord, where we are just... It would be very hard for us to receive this amazing gift you offer us. And then there are those whose hearts have already sought that before they even got here. And God, I really want you to invest in me today. Pour into me. And so God, I pray, regardless of where we've come from, regardless of the dust that's under our shoes, regardless, Lord, of the challenges that we've faced even this week or the things, Lord, the, the, the speed in which I would speak or the words that would be used, God, I pray you would speak to each one of us right where we're at. God, that you would speak into our ears, but that our minds and our hearts would understand. And that today in this tiny room with this beautiful tiny group of people, we would sit here and we would, we would listen to you. And so, God, may your word burst open and come alive and may you today revolutionize every one of us, captivate us in your word. Please, may we be forever changed. May we recognize the choice you lay before us, even in this text today. So Lord, may we have so much fun as we learn who you are, your love for us, your call on our lives. So, Lord, have your way now. We commit this time to you and pray you would do your work your way, please. For every one of us. In Jesus' name. Amen.
I would say today is that would any please don't just believe me. I think it's the locksmith. Just you know, um, you, you guys missed a real raging party. We did too, by the way. All we knew is when we came, there was all kinds of bottles and things outside, and the lock was broken. So, whoever it was um, didn't even see. It. He was too drunk to see the padlock. That would have kept them through even when they broke the other. Anyways, neither here nor there. Let's get into our text. Jesus has shown himself as these crazy claims, the bread of life, the light of the world, uh, the door to the sheep, three of seven I am statements he's going to make in the Gospel of John. And please hear me in this. Any person can make a claim. And of course, we've all probably been in situations where we watch people speak in heroic manner, make tremendous claims about themselves, and then have nothing to back it up. So understand, I recognize that. And there would be a natural hesitance. For any person to say, you know, hey, I'm the man, I'm the thing, I'm the, you know. And we have enough of those people to watch. On, and Marvel has helped us to watch people who, you know, are obviously fake. And, and the reason I say that is, is that understand Jesus does something very different from the average guy who just sort of makes these heroic claims. Every statement he makes, he's going to back up with something really foundationally unique. When he tells us that he's the light of the world, understand he isn't just kind of going, hey, this is the new thing. I want you to check this out. He heals a man who was born blind. Nobody had seen that before that point. We don't know whether the guy had eyeballs before that point. Now he does. And they work. Now for every person there, 5,000 miles away, 2,000 years ago, they saw that. We look at this and we think, well, that's just really cute. You know, I mean, nice story. It's right up there with Hansel and Gretel. Because we read these stories and for some people it's just so foreign from the life we live. But for a person that was living 2,000 years ago in the Middle East in Jerusalem, or at least in this case in Galilee, watching Jesus, it was a pretty simple thing. You watch the guy that people would know, and actually Jerusalem for the guy that was actually born blind. We watched a guy, and we knew him. We walked past him every day, and we knew the guy as a guy who couldn't see. And we've watched him for years be the guy who couldn't see. And now all of a sudden he's jumped up, and he can see, and it's clear and obvious, and we take note of that. Now, please understand, God has never asked you to simply blindly believe. People talk about blind faith. I understand that. I think it's an intelligent faith because God has no problem backing up every claim. Now, I can't guarantee, matter of fact, I can guarantee you, you will not get that from other people. But Jesus, when he makes these claims, well, there's something he's going to do to prove it. So if you're the kind of person that you're skeptical, and please let me delineate, there's a big difference between a skeptic and a cynic. A skeptic, I have great, I, to be honest, I have great respect for. That's a person that says, unless there's decent evidence, I have no reason to believe. I think that's fair. A cynic says, I really don't care what the evidence is. I've made up my mind, but I'm going to pretend to be open-minded. I have no respect for that. Now, part of that is an issue of pride, and some of it's just an issue of honesty. But with Jesus, if it's the case here, and he's still alive as we claim him to be, and he's still transforming lives, you have a right to look. And you have a right to take a look and investigate into the lives of human beings so that you can see whether or not this is really different. Now, in the case, for instance, we saw, we were talking about the renewal of vows with Angel and Adam. If you knew who they were before, the reason Adam even got interested was because of the change in, in Angel. She was so out of control. And she, I mean, she got kicked out of every club in Camden. Do you know how hard it is to get kicked out of it? I mean, I personally don't know, but I've been told stories. But it's like to, be, to see her from where she was to the change she made really took, him to, uh, took her husband, who at that point was estranged, to really take notice and realize something radically supernatural is happening here because this kind of thing just doesn't happen. And there's the beauty. And please understand this. 
Because even though I want to dive into the text, I just feel really compelled to exhort us. We've been living in this world for the last 10 years that has challenged us to take up and blow dust off of old books and try to make sure we argue better. Well, the problem is, arguing is just, an, if, you'll, if you'll pardon me for saying, arguing your point is just another form of sales. And now you're selling an idea or an ideal, but in the end of it all, we live in a constant flurry of that. We're in an avalanche of people selling us stuff and getting us to sign up for whatever the latest charity is and so forth. And then somebody comes and goes, let me try to convince you. But the bottom line is, is that in most of the cases, what you'll find, it isn't about it being that we need a better argument. People just need better evidence. And we've excused ourselves from the one part that any of you who have said yes to Jesus, well, we've excused ourselves from the one part that actually God's called us to do. If you've actually encountered Jesus Christ and said yes to him, you are a miracle. You are a miracle that is so different. Now, you might think, well, I wasn't punching nuns and kicking puppies before that point, and now I'm nice, you know. And so you want to make up a story about how rough and tumble you were, but you know, but the bottom line is, if you think you were just a decent person, but now you've been different, well, that's the average argument for most people out there. They think, well, I'm a decent person. Isn't that good enough? And you could be the one person who actually blows their bluff. Because you're the one person who says, hey, I thought I was a decent person, but there was still a hole inside of me. And that hole needed to be met. Well, and that becomes our point here. So Jesus has been saying that he's the, and he's using this metaphor of the issue of a sheep, something that, by the way, we still relate to, 2,000 years later, 5,000 miles removed. What we have is a situation where a shepherd would take his sheep into a place just outside of the city and there was a pen. And if I had sheep and Deborah had sheep and Ugo had sheep, even though that would probably be the same since we're married, you know, and Bruno, inevitably what would happen is, is that you could put them all in the same pen and God built sheep in such a way that they only listen to the voice of the person who actually owns them who protects them, who provides for them. The rest of them, the rest of the sheep, Bruno's sheep will flee from Ugo, even though he's not necessarily that big and intimidating, with all due respect. He's definitely somebody, though, that he's a stranger as far as Bruno's sheep are concerned. And Jesus is using this with the idea that he tells us that as he's the door, the only way really to the sheep, he says, listen, if you go in, you're going to be safe. If you go out with me, you're going to be provided for. Now that is a tremendous promise. But I've learned again, he always throws out the proposition or promise, and then he throws out the proof. Now, listen to what he says here as he lays out verses 10 and 11. Up to this point, for what it's worth, he's talked about a thief or thieves. There's been what we call a non-distinct article or an indefinite article. But now he says the thief. Now, that's fundamental. What that tells us is it's a specific individual, not just an ideal or an idea. It's a specific person that he calls a thief here. And he says, he does not come except. Now, in the simplest sense, what that means is that he has a very specific mission. Well, we're going to find it's a trinity of a mission. And in that mission, the fact that he says doesn't come except, what he's telling us is, this is the only thing he does. He doesn't come to make friends first and then hang out and do all these things. This is his mission from the beginning. It's never changed. He didn't get kind of lost in the middle of it and then go, oh. Oh, now what am I doing? This has been his ambition from the very beginning. Now look it. Already for some of you, you're probably going, oh, there we go, there's the boogeyman. But please understand, as we develop this, I'd like you to consider the fact he's not a boogeyman or slender or John Kramer or any of that, but he's a sneaky antagonist who comes with a mission. Now look it. I bet you've met people like this. I look around at this group of people and I realize 
Because, you know, you, you've, you're, you're beautiful people. And the reason I say that is you, chances are you've met people that you knew had a mission from the moment that they met you that wasn't a good one. And sometimes that's a guy who wants your wallet. Sometimes it's a guy who wants your heart. But in all of those things, some of the times, if you're going to be honest, you even knew it and you still jumped into it. Sometimes you actually knew better and you left before you got involved in it and thanked yourself later for that. But the reason I say that is, is you know that there are people out there just like this. But he speaks about a specific individual who has this specific mission. Now, he tells us he comes only, his simple mission. Anything else would be irrelevant except for this. And by the way, might I just say, if you weren't important, this wouldn't matter. Thieves don't steal unimportant things. Thieves steal things that are important. And I'd like you to recognize from the very beginning of this, you're actually the prize. You are, you are the precious thing that somebody really wants, but for the wrong reason. That's a great place to start. You're no mistake. You're no accident. You're the prize. Now, when it comes to do these three things, the first is to steal. The Greek word, by the way, is a simple word. The word's klepto. Some of you would... God bless you, by the way. I mean that word for word. The klepto is a simple word. We get the word kleptomaniac from it, of course. And the idea is simple. It's to take what doesn't belong to you, that belongs to someone else, to take it for yourself, or to remove something that belongs somewhere and to remove it to put it somewhere else. In both cases, it actually applies to this word. Consider that. To take what belongs to someone else and to take from where it belongs to someplace it doesn't. That is what it means to steal. And he tells us this is the mission. So we start with this. If he's speaking about you, well, then the question is, if somebody has come to steal, that means you have a place you belong and you have someone to whom you belong to. Because if you didn't belong to anyone, how do you steal? It's like if you find something on the ground, although these days, if that's in Turkey, just leave it there apparently. But uh, if you find something on the ground, it tends to be sort of public dominion. So the first person who finds the pound on the ground usually gets it's the idea. And then when, hey, that was my pound. Of course, you're going to say that. But when you're stealing something, it clearly belongs to someone. And it clearly belongs somewhere. Now, I don't know if you've ever given it a thought, but that's where we start this. Now, maybe you just think you're kind of an accident or some kind of fortuitous culmination of a handful of really great mutations. Of the billions of cells, trillions of cells that make you, when you were, before you were born, and the cells started to divide. There were these clear ones, these clear cells that were alkalites, that if they floated and attached to any other cell other than their own, they would destroy the cells. One of those cells has the ability to destroy your entire being. This is, by the way, in your first couple days to your first couple weeks. But those cells somehow miraculously didn't just find each other. They found each other twice and became two collections of these particular units. And when they became these units, they started to curve and they became the lenses that are your eyes. That's more than just an accident and a cool mutation. Because that teetered from every moment 
you teetered on extinction had any of those gone awry. That was the hand of a God who was knitting you. And the reason I say that is, is we look at all of those things and we think somehow, wow, thank my lucky stars, look at what happened to me. But you have no idea. And that's one of a billion stories we can tell you about the things that happened just to make you a baby before all of that. This is what it says in Scripture, by the way. It says in Colossians 1, verse 16, For by him, speaking of Jesus, and for him, all things were created. Now, there is always this argument about who, if there's a creator or not. There's a really, to me, I, I remember our own kids being this way and my nephews being the same. When people talk about things exploding and all these years and all that, you move all of that aside for a second. And when you, if you want to believe in that there's a pea basically that contained all matter and exploded into all of its stuff, I don't want to argue that, though I don't agree with you. But I will say this. The issue is, well, who made the pea? Because beyond all of that, we still have that issue. And somehow this thing became life, and that life became what you are today sitting in that seat. Now, might I just say, if that is what you believe, and I'm not trying to make fun of you, I would like to say you have a tremendous faith that you're exercising. Because you saw, you've never seen any of that, but you're trusting in that. And that really does take a lot of trust. But Scripture says that God actually did it. That he had a plan. And from the very beginning, he took that plan, and he knit it together, and he made you. But get this, by him and for him, you were created. You weren't just created by God. You were actually created for him. Might I say it this way? God in heaven actually had a unique opportunity because he could actually create a gift for his son. What do you get Jesus for his birthday? What God made for his son was you. Now, that's the one person other than Jesus who knows everything other than the Holy Spirit. But I would say, here's a father, the only father we might say that actually knows everything and knows everything about the heart of the son, who knows exactly what the son really wants. Don't miss this. Here's a father who loves his son with complete and absolute pure love, who has the full capacity and power to do whatever he wants, who knows exactly in every way implicitly the heart of his son and wants to bless his son. And with that, in his perfect wisdom, and his perfect power, with God who never makes mistakes, wants to give a gift to his son and he made you. How crazy is that? And he made you with the purpose. You weren't created to worship God. You weren't created to serve God. You were created to be with God. The rest of it is going to follow suit. Because you could try to do all of that stuff without it and you're missing the point. It's like trying to live married without having a relationship. Seems kind of dumb to me. And this father made this son, made for the son, you. And he gave the gift to you, of you, to him and said, but the crazy part is he gave you a will. Because what Jesus didn't want was a new robot. What he wanted was somebody who actually wanted him back. So, Hugo, in love for Deborah, wants to bless her, and he buys her a puppy. <sighs> yeah, well, it's a husky. I'm just going to play that because I like huskies. I'm just, it helps me with my own story. And, uh, and as he kind of gives her this puppy, Deborah looks at this thing, and it's adorable because he knows Deborah wants a husky, and he just thinks it's going to be awesome. And Deborah loves this thing, but there's a problem with the puppy because the puppy still has a bit of a will its own. And so she, what Deborah doesn't want is just a puppy in and of itself because what if that puppy's just nasty and bites and pees on her and all those other things? I mean, in the end of it all, she'd be like, why did you give me this? 
But if that thing is something that actually is tender and, and would, would just, you know, it becomes sort of Deb's confidant and all of that, well, that makes a different story. And the reason I say that when God actually made you to give to Jesus, he gave you a will because in the end of it all, it means so much more if you would just make that choice. And you actually belong there. Here's the problem. If you're not there, then you're not where you belong and there will be a hole in you that you'll spend the rest of your life trying to fill. And the problem is, there's an avalanche of counterfeits out there that you can try and the enemy's worked really hard to keep you diverted. Because if you actually stop long enough and pulled out your iPod, your iPhone, sorry, um, your, let me try that again, pull out your headphones, I sound like I'm 90, you know. Let me tell you those things. You press the button. And you sit down quietly for a moment and actually take a careful assessment of your life. You know why we don't do that, right? Because that's an inventory we don't want to take. Because we can fake everyone else and fool ourselves as long as we keep going fast enough to stop and be honest. But the moment we stop and actually take a look we realize we're a lot lonelier than we think. We're a lot weaker than we think. We're a lot dumber than we think. And those are the things we thought good of ourselves. Those were our marketable factors. You were created for them. In every sunrise, and every sunset, and every flower that grows that's wild, every bird that sings outside your window is supposed to remind you of that. You're like, where is he? He's been calling out to you for every moment. It's the smile of a friend, so you know what it's like to actually be, how wonderful it is to see someone that you care about smile back at you. Why do you think God put that in you? Because he'd really like you to do it with him. The genuine honest hug, you know, versus the kind of weird pat-pat thing that you can like, okay, now I'm totally awkward. That was weird. What would it be like if we actually took inventory of the things we really love and then realize those appetites were created because somebody wants us to respond in like manner when he offers them to us. He goes, there is somebody, unfortunately, who really wants to steal you away. Here's the thing. Since the metaphor he's been using is sheep, it actually makes sense. When a wolf goes to kill sheep and they're actually not in the pen, he doesn't go after all of them. He just wants to pull one away. And if he can lure that one away, he's stealing them. And by the way, here's the saddest part. He's going to steal that 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 sheep by using the strength of its own will. Sheep are, are, by the way, if you ever want to look at an animal example of ADD, a sheep is a really good example of that. Because it's like you could sit there and they could be kind of hanging out with their shepherd and things are cool until a butterfly goes by. And then like, whoa, colors. What's that? Squirrel! You know, and off they go. And as they kind of go and then the sheep's like, hey, whoa, 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 shepherds, kind of, hey, whoa, 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 you know, I know that's really cute and everything, but get back in here. I want you safe because obviously what a shepherd understands, and I hope you get this, what a shepherd understands is if you kind of veer off on your own, you're somebody's lunch waiting to happen. It's one of the things that I see so huge about fellowship is what happens is we get to this place where, you know, the moment we need it the most, we kind of run off because, and then we hide somewhere and we're just sitting waiting for somebody else who's sharpening their knife and fork waiting to get at us. And you know what the sad part is? Some of you already know this. To be honest, intrinsically we all do. But somewhere inside of us, there is clearly something missing. 
And somebody is actually working. But let me just say this. The only reason why this, this thief comes to steal this thing isn't because it's precious to him. It's because he knows to whom it is precious. And he's got a real problem with the living God. And he knows that if he hurts you, that's what's really going to hurt him. There's the problem. That's why the whole gift of the cross is so mind-blowing. Because this is a father who would let his son be tortured to death just to have you. Exactly how much do you think he wants you? How important do you think you are? Because as far as God is concerned, he'd rather die than live without you. So, he's come to, to steal. He's come to pull you away from where you don't belong. He's come to take you from who, to whom you belong. But it's not just to come to steal. He's come to kill. You see, you're no real important to him. It isn't like kidnapping means anything to him. The bottom line is all he really wants to do is hurt God, and that's why you're so important. I think, to be honest, that the enemy knows this better than you do. That he knows how important you are to God more than you know how important you are to God. Because if you knew how important you were to God, I think he'd respond differently often. I can't even imagine what it would be like for a God who sent his son to be tortured to death just to be with you. For us to say, well, I don't know, because if I don't do this thing, I might feel like I'm alone. I think that that's mind-blowing to me. But there is one who has come, and he's come to steal. He wants to pull you away. And he wants to pull you away from where you belong, from whom you belong. But he's come to not just do that, he wants to kill you. Now, I'm not here to go, let's just create some kind of weird manic panic out of this. The bottom line is, I go all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 2. Because in the book of Genesis chapter 2, God actually spoke to Abram, I'm sorry, to Abram, he spoke to Adam, and he said, hey, on the day that you do this, on the day you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Mutamut in the Hebrew literally means you'll die to die. It's a double infinitive. In other words, it just can't be more clear than this. But on that day, they'll eat of it, and it isn't like their bodies keel over. As a matter of fact, after that point, Adam will have a son named Seth, and then he'll live another 800 years. And you think, well, that just sounds crazy. Well, that only sounds crazy because people don't live that old today. But I'll be honest, with our rate of degradation, I wouldn't want to live 800 years here. How about you? To be honest, 100 sounds like a pretty rough idea. And I'm, I'm just basically halfway there. And here's the point. Is that God knew something that we could miss. What he knew is, is that death was so much more than just you stopped breathing. Why is it that we grieve so much when someone we love passes on? Because we lost our relationship with them. The body's still in front of us. The shell, the jersey's staring, and staring us in the face. I mean, to be honest, sometimes they look better than they have in a while. The mortician sometimes does a fantastic job of trying to make them look younger. And you're like, oh, I remember when they kind of looked like that. But you know that all you're looking at is the shell. And if you think that's all there really is, then why do we grieve? They're like, you're still here, but they're not still there. We can talk. They don't respond. We can make plans. They're not going to follow in those plans. We've lost our relationship. And understand, throughout Scripture, the whole idea of life is something that two things actually have to be united. James would say is, faith without works is dead. Those two things have to happen to have a real faith, a living faith. 
He says, is the body without the soul or the spirit is dead? Those two things have to be united. There's no life. And understand, you were created. Let me just say it this way. It's if you were created to actually function so much greater than you can imagine. And let's face it. If, a, if something that was actually electric was coming at you and you realize trying to, to fight it's one thing, but if you unplugged it, it was no threat to you at all. Well, you would be wise to go after the power source. The moment you remove the power source, the thing is no threat. And the enemy knows that. Understand for God, when he created man, he created him to be with him. And he had a relationship with him in a garden that he called Eden. Now that sounds, well, that sounds like a fairy tale. Well, listen, Eden, Chaden, just means pleasure. This was, this was God's idea of pleasure. It wasn't some weird, funky thing that you feel weird and you feel like you should shower and not tell the kids. Pleasure in its simplest sense, if you think about it, means a state where you're just like, yes. And that was where God was. What makes God, yes was this, you. He goes, but the moment you want to choose away from me, the moment you want to try to put yourself first instead of put me in your heart, understand we're going to lose that relationship. And the moment you lose that relationship, it's death as far as God's concerned. You may still be breathing, and you may still be functioning, but you are existing. And what God's going to make clear in the next verse is that existing is very different from being alive. And he goes, the enemy has come to do this. But here's the craziest part is he doesn't just come to steal and to kill. He comes to destroy. Now the word there is the word apolumo. Try this word, apolumi. Apol means out of. Lumi from the word luso means to lose. It is the word, by the way, that literally means to set it not as if it never existed or anything good ever came from it. It literally means to set loose and let it out. Now understand, that makes a lot of sense. Because according to Scripture, God holds everything together, including all the atoms on your body. And if your atoms just decided they wanted to actually take a break and not congeal anymore, it would be rough for every one of us. Once those atoms start splitting, the whole universe is at risk here. And you have enough atoms in your thumbnail to destroy all of England. So I understand that once those things start splitting. Now, if you get that concept, understand what's said here. It is the word that is used for what it's worth in Matthew 2.13 when Herod sought to destroy Jesus. He didn't just want to kill the baby. He wanted to destroy anything and any influence he could have had. The same is used in Matthew 9.17 when Jesus speaks about wineskins, when the wine expands and the wineskins are ruined. There is no reparation for it. Once this thing is busted, it's busted for good. It is the word that is used for the Pharisees when they sought to destroy Jesus later in Matthew 12:14. It is used, by the way, of the demoniac that's uh, in Mark 1:24. We see another one with Luke 4:34, where he comes to Jesus and says, "Have you come to destroy us?" But to be honest, the thing that impacted me the most as I kind of looked at this was what happens when this word becomes a noun. What's the term we would use for this apolumi? Do you know what the term is? Matthew 18:11. The Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Interestingly enough, the state of this in a human being, the noun is lost. They're the lost. He was lost and he was found, but he's gone to find the lost. This is why a Christian will come to you and say, I was lost and now I'm found. Lost didn't just mean I couldn't figure out my way. And of course, people are not all that wander are lost. Well, let me just say, all that breathe, start out lost. There's the scary part. Because we start out with the idea. Let me say it this way. It's the second law of thermodynamics. It's entropy in our lives. Everything just starts falling apart. 
And that's the word he uses here. But he didn't just say he came to discover the lost. He came to save them. As I start to learn this, I start to realize he came to save me from me. Interesting, because Jesus would, we would read, by the way, in Hebrews chapter 2, another word that's used for destroy means literally set to complete impotence. And when it says, inasmuch, and this is uh, Hebrews 2.14, inasmuch as he has partaken of flesh and blood, Jesus Christ, he himself likewise shared of the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That's the devil. What Jesus came to do with you was to destroy all that the enemy has done in you by trying to steal you away, by trying to destroy you, by kill you and destroy you. But please understand, this is only half the story. Because this is the part, and all Jesus is doing is teaching us by contrast. It's an easy way to do it. In other words, here's the black, here's the white. Here's the wrong, here's the right. That's the idea. And he says, there is somebody, and this is what they do. But please understand something. I start to look and I think, each day it leaks. That hint of real life in my life, it leaks. And I make foolish choices, and they hurt me. I latch myself to toxic friends that I know will take me away from the good. They'll actually ruin my life if I give them the opportunity. And so I'm constantly on my guard about what they say and their influence and the things they want to do because I'm always really careful. And as a result of that, I get so injured by that. Somebody who's actually kind, I actually shut them out. Somebody who would be kind to me while somebody who would actually do something that I know is going to hurt me, I actually open the door to them. What is wrong with me? I open up my, even worse, I open up my romantic heart to somebody that I actually know will abuse it. And I dump toxins in my body to escape it all. And I know they're going to wreck me in the process. And here I am, it's as if I have a hammer and I'm banging myself in the face and then I'm bragging about it to you and go, that was awesome, how about you? Yeah, I banged myself in the face with a hammer too. Oh, what an awesome night that was. You know, and I'm like, yeah, all right, well, I'll tell you what, let's, uh, tomorrow night, let's do it again. Let's go, because you don't, you actually, you don't go to, you know, think about where you go to. You go to the club. No, for as far as I'm concerned, a club's a big thing you hit people with. Oh, whatever. You, you get the idea. And it's like, oh, check it out. You know, like, oh, I was so wasted last night. You were wasted. Think about the word waste. And I was so intoxicated. That means I dumped toxins. I I just filled my body with poisons. Awesome. I I filled my body with poisons last night too. Sweet. What did you do? Oh, I did some polio. I was on some anthrax. That was awesome. How about you? Well, and the whole idea is, and we brag about it. And let me tell you, let me just tell you, you know, who I was with and what I did with them. I abused them. I took the trust. And then I left them after the whole thing was done. And they kind of looked and went, I thought you were something so different. Ah, it's all right. I could feel bad about it, but I'll just move on to the next one. Which tells me that I'm not just being destroyed. I'm destroying other people. I mean, before I knew Jesus, understand, for 19 years I lived without any concept of God. Well, for the most part. And I just wanted to be liked. And it was amazing the choices I made that I just thought were to make me feel good about me that hurt so many other people ignorantly because, to be honest, I didn't slow down enough to take out my, phone, my headphones and to stop and take honest inventory to go, what am I really doing to people? Because, to be honest, it just felt good enough to be smiled at. And so if you were to tell me, oh, this Jesus thing, I would have said, get out of my face, too. Oh, you're lost. Oh, I'm lost. Shut up. I was way too proud to hear until it actually had to come into a head-on collision of realizing how much I was really hurting people. And at that point, I was like, man, it's one thing when you have the smoking gun. It's another thing when you are the smoking gun. 
says, how do you run from you? Well, that's the whole point. And if you were honest for just a moment, when things got quiet enough for you to take an honest look at yourself, honestly, what would you see? Here's the crazy part. You get hungry enough, sooner or later you'll eat your sock. No, I don't think anyone in here kind of has a natural sort of Pico syndrome where you're kind of like, oh, yeah, I love socks. You know, I mean, sooner or later, and it says this in the book of Proverbs, it says that to the hungry soul, even the bitterest thing is sweet. But the satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. Man, when you are starving, it is amazing what looks good. But if you were created to be with God and then somehow you've been pulled out of that, and our pride will keep us come, from coming back, or we think we're too, and whatever the word you want to put there, you're going to be starving. Because inside, your soul is hungry. It is hungry. And it is hungry for something that only is God. Because he made you that way. And you will, because I can tell you I've done it, and I can still if I'm not careful. All I have to do is ignore the goodness of God and think there's something else out there I need to add to that. Because I just want you to know your life is actually par for course because this is what happens. That's not enough to kill you. It's to destroy you altogether and use you to destroy everybody else. So what this tells me is existence is not just living. Existing, it's decaying. We are destroying and being destroyed by ourselves and by the influence, as we see here. This existence we call human nature, I think it would be fair, fair to call it human digression. We start out bad and we rot from there. But, verse 11, can you understand why, if we were to completely believe this, and I, by the way, do, why saved makes sense, not just brought into the church, become a member of something. I've been a lifeguard. I know what it's like to have to jump in and watch people and recognize they need to be saved. But perhaps some of you are aware of the fact the time you do not jump in to save them is the time where they don't recognize they need to be because they'll just pull you down and try to use you as a floaty. So what they'll do is they'll kill you to stay alive while they're trying to tell you they're not drowning. It's a bit ironic but you wait until they ask for help. But it doesn't just be asked for help. They have to ask for help to the point where they'll let you actually help the way you know you need to help them. Does that make sense? So there's some stage in between that where you're actually going down and what you're asking is basically for one more arm to paddle with. God didn't help me. God saved me. And I'll at least to be honest to tell you, it wasn't like that you just went and said, well, I was 98% of the way there, and I'm like, God, I need that 2%, like good milk or something, and just pop in and fill that spot. And God's like, yeah, I'll take that. It's like, in the end of it all, I, because if I do that, then when God starts touching that other 98%, I think is all cool and all that, I'm going to get really upset with him. I'm like, hey, 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 I don't need you to touch that stuff. That stuff's already good. And the Lord's like, no, you need every bit of this. But notice he says then in verse 11, and we'll wrap this around now, he says, I have come. Now I remind you, he's already told us that the thief came with a specific mission. Jesus wants you to know he's coming with a specific mission too. 
wasn't like Jesus just came to teach. That's not what we're going to see here. Or Jesus just came to do some really cool miracles. That's not what he says here. Though Jesus did teach and he did really cool miracles. He says, I came for a specific reason. The enemy has come for a specific reason. This thief has come for a specific reason. And I've come for a specific reason. And by the way, I'm so thankful Jesus doesn't have ADD because I'm so thankful he stayed true to this from the very beginning of this. And he says, I've come with a distinct and unwavering purpose that they may have life. They. Who is the they? The stolen. The dying. The rotting. Now, please hear me in this. In the Greek, and I love Greek cause it, for a lot of reasons. One, because of, you know, big fat Greek wedding movie. No, I'm just kidding. The, uh, one, because of the food. Well, no. Uh, because the language is so distinct. And there are different words for life. There is the word bios. We get the word biology from it. That's an important word. It's the study of existence. We can study, you know, when you have biology, chances are you might dissect something. Pull an animal apart, just take a look at its muscles and the way that it leaps. In other words, the way that it functions. But that's not the word Jesus says here. And don't miss this, Christians, because this is a part we, could, we, we really need to grab a hold of. He just, Jesus didn't say, I came so that you could have eternal life, like you could have eternal existence. Because whether you like it or not, you're going to dwell eternally somewhere, smoking or non-smoking. That's your choice, but you're going to dwell somewhere. And so it isn't like, well, check it out. I'm going to have like eternal life, and you're going to have like not eternal life. Now, if that's the word, then in the end of it all, we get is we kind of like, well, then I better at least pick a good place to live. But then there's this other word, zoe. And the word zoe is a word that is used by Homer when he speaks about being in love. It is a word that is used by Aristotle when he speaks about having purpose and for a guy that that's what he really wanted. And the idea is it's the place where you just go, this. So let me say there's existence and then there's alive. And that's very different places. You know, it's kind of, and understand, we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, where Adam appeared to be man before that point. In verse 7, chapter 2, verse 7, Adam was still a man, but then God breathed life into him, literally breathed the blow of life into him, and he became living. It seemed like he was a man way before he was alive. I mean, you, you don't have to spend much time go on a train during rush hour, which I don't know why they call it that. Who, no one rushes. You know, and, uh, and, you know, and you get there and you're crammed into this thing and it's a great time to be tall. You know, uh, let me just say, because you know, although the smell rises, but at least you get to see over the sea of people. And, but, you know, you get crammed in there and you watch the people and they kind of, they're like herded like cattle. You know, they kind of, they're blank and they just kind of, they do this. Now, it used to be papers and now, of course, we have our phones to stare at. You know, those things I just looked at, you know, and you sit there and you kind of, and you try to avoid eye contact and then you come out and you leave your thing. And occasionally, if you want to say anything, it's probably sorry because you bumped into someone, though you bump into everyone. And the reason I say that is that's not living it's existing but the existing part is what he told us was subject to this entropy it's the part that erodes and decays that's what he shows us in that first verse that this is what it's like to exist you don't just stay existing you start existing and you just start decaying from it but he goes jesus didn't say i come that you could exist you're already existing i came that you would have life and that's so different it's so different. 
It's the place where there's a reason to exist. You can't have zoology, zoology like that, as you would like biology, because biology, it's like, this is what makes the frog jump. These are its muscles. This is how it contracts and expands. But you don't get why the frog wanted to jump, or if there was any motivation behind it. You get the fact that it existed and it did this. And you tear you apart, and we get, this is your lungs. This is how they expand and contract. This is your bloodstream. This is, and you get all of that stuff and you put it all together. But in the end of it all, that's all existence. And if that's all you've got, life sucks. Because all that is is a life that is empty of why you were made in the first place. And Jesus didn't say, I came so you could exist. You're already existing. I came that you would have life. Now, think about this for a moment in your own existence. So I've got to use that word because if I use another, it would be rough now. Those moments in life or existence where it just seems like all your problems are far from you for the moment and all the stresses are far from you for the moment and you're in a place where there's great comfort and there's peace and you're happy and for that moment you put your hands back and you're like, this is the life. But the problem is you know it's temporary and you know it's diluted. Let's just be honest. It's two things. One is you don't get the pure grain, anything of that. Because you know sooner or later the problems are going to come back. I mean, you take that vacay, you, you head out on your holiday, and ultimately what happens is you get a, maybe a moment where it's kind of like reprieve away from the craziness and the screaming and the rush hours and the, the bills and all of the other things. But let's, taste, let's be honest. If you take a decent vacay, you come back, you got more bills because you had a good vacay. I mean, you know, so you got more bills to pay. But for that moment, if you can block all of that out of your head and you can keep all of those giants at bay for the moment before they breach the shore of your intellect... At that particular moment, you're like, ah, oh, this is good. It's diluted. It's not 100%, but it's diluted and it's temporary. But could you imagine if you could just have some magic something, a button that you can press just to make it a little bit longer, wouldn't you do it? The moment when you met the person you know you want to spend the rest of your life with and that moment where nothing else mattered, it was just, you know, and it was like, for me, it was kind of like 60s, Black Love Rock was playing in the background, you know, it was like, you know, that kind of thing, you know, and it was like, you know, Vivaldi came in after that and chocolate kind of was flowing and the doves were released and you're like, wow, yeah. And the reason I say that is, is the problem again is it's diluted, it's not pure, and it's temporary. Now, please hear me in this. Jesus said, I've come that you would have that. But you would have it. And then he uses this crazy word here, peruso. The word, for what it's worth, and we read it here as more abundantly, the word literally means, for what it's worth, superfluous, excessive, do you know, when, you know when something is excessive? Do you know what that means? It means it's more than you need. It's more than you can use. You know? Or it's like, you know, you kind of bump into somebody and they turn around and they freak out at you and you're like, well, that was excessive. And what you're saying is, right, that was disproportionate to what I did. There was way more. You watch the particular movie, like, wow, that was pretty excessive violence. One of our daughters would be like, awesome. You know, 
And I realize that it's like, what that means is it's just more than you'll ever be able to cash in on. And listen, listen, listen. This is what Jesus is saying about life. It's not diluted. It's above and beyond what you can contain, is what he says. Yes, look at I have come. There's somebody that comes and they want to rip life out of you. They want to steal you from where you belong and from whom you belong, to, to, to kill you and to destroy you. But there is someone, and that is Jesus, who has come. You can fight it all you want. You can try to over-intellect it or emotion it or put up whatever borders you want. But there is somebody who wants to pour that life into you. And think about how you think you're too smart for that. But being too smart for that means you are refusing life. How is that smart? And I've, got, I've come to give you, not only just give that life, but to give it in abundance. And you realize, I don't need circumstance for that anymore. And actually, all those things that were actually tried to kept at bay have all been laid to rest. Oh, the bills still come, but it's his job to pay them. Problems still arise, but he's the one who calms the storm. I've learned I don't have to control my universe because, I, well, to be honest, the universe is way too big for me to do anything with. I can enjoy the one who does. That's like before I was driving a driver's test in the UK. You know what that means, right? You get one thing wrong and they just kick you out and, t- and take your shoes. You know, it's unbelievable, right? You know, and so you, you know, like, it's okay as long as you're perfect. We'll give you, you know, like that's going to happen, right? So you're like, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, I've been driving, you know, I think they invented cars after I was, anyways, you know. And it's like, but then it's like, and imagine it's like, that's your whole life. It's like, I just can't bump into anything. What if I bump into something? What is that going to do? How is that going to cost me? Who is that going to hurt? How is that going to affect me? And you're like, you live your whole life like going, ah, being outside, you're like, yeah, it's cool. It's cool, right? But you know, inside you're like, ah, and this is happening because you just don't want to blow it. You don't want to mess up. What about this person? And what if if I say the wrong thing? And you're like living this way. And then suddenly Jesus goes, you know, if I could sit there, you could actually enjoy the ride. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, Lord, I'm going to try something really weird. It's kind of like faith. I'm going to just sit over here. And he's like, okay. And he's like, all right, let's just take out the house. And he's like, drives perfectly. And I'm like, what in the world was I freaking out about? What was this? Is And I realized, this is the life. But he didn't just come to give me that life in abundance. He came to give me that life eternally. You know what that means? And not only never has to be diluted, it never has to run out. Yeah, weird things happen and crazy things, but you know what? It can't take the fact that Christ poured that into me. So listen to me as we go to prayer. The next verse, he just says this. How do I know he can do this? Remember how he can, anyone can make great promises, but where's the proof? Jesus says, let me tell you, I'm the good shepherd. I lay my life down for my sheep. And the whole point of it, he goes, you really want to see what it looks like? Watch what Jesus does. That going to the cross and resurrecting is proof that he actually knows what he's saying and he has the power to do what he's saying here. I mean, if he's going to pour life into me, well, then death really actually can't have influence anymore. He goes, well, I'll tell you what, I'll take, I'll take death to the cross, and I'll take bada boom, I'll take it down to the tomb, and then when we're done, I'll leave it there. And that's the beauty here. I mean, how else can someone prove this? Now, you go, well, that was, that was a couple thousand years ago. Well, then let me just challenge you this. Get to know the people here who call themselves Christian and investigate for yourself. Watch the difference he makes in their lives, because what you'll find is the same thing happened to us. He took who we were and he buried that person that was desperate and empty. In essence, was stolen 
was dying and was destroying and being destroyed. He took that person and he turned him into a blesser. And the crazy part is, I don't even know how he does it. He doesn't, he doesn't have to tell me. All I know is he pours himself into me the moment I said yes. And he starts this beautiful art project that I get to be a part of and so do you. Now the question is, what are you going to do about that? Are you going to say yes? Are you going to say yes to the gift of Jesus? Or are you going to be in a place where, you know what, I need to figure it out. Look it, if you're going to be skeptical, be my guest to be skeptical. Please, but don't be a cynic. Check the evidence for yourself and then make your decision. But if you have made that choice to Jesus, I think it's time we start representing. Where I came from, and that's, by the way, not California before all that. They used to say, if you ain't representing, you perpetrating. In other words, if you ain't representing properly, you're causing the problem. You're picking a side. Christians, the world has seen enough arguments. They've seen enough of us carrying banners, and they know all these things we stand against, but they don't know anything we stand for. And let's face it, when was the last time someone looked at you, and I'm not trying to diss, but I'm like, be honest, they looked at you and went, man, you've got something very different. And whatever it is, I want it. Because we've been hearing those testimonies quite a bit lately. And I want you to have that. So why don't I challenge you? This is what the shepherd says. You want to come in and be with me? You're going to be safe. You want to walk out and follow me? I'll take care of everything. But you're just going to have to be willing to follow. As we pray, you've got a choice to make. And I'm not just talking about those of you who feel like, well, I don't know about this whole religious thing. Did I ever mention that this is somehow a bunch of traditions? That you have to join a club and make sure that you wear sunglasses that have stained glass? Did I ever tell you anywhere you had to burn incense? There's a God who created you to be with him and he wants you. He's dropped the knee. He said, will you be mine? The choice is yours. He's done his work. Christians, if you've said yes, well, you couldn't be a Christian if you haven't, then I want to challenge you today. Will you represent with me? Will you pray with me? God in heaven, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the privilege of this time you've given us here. Where we can be in your word and jump into this and ask for you to speak to our hearts. And I genuinely believe you have. You've certainly spoken to mine. And Lord, here in this room, you know where we're at. You know the things that want to fight you. And God, you don't want anything fighting you. Because you love us and you want us. And here you are reaching out your hands to wash us clean and make us new and give us peace. In this very moment, you, by the power of your own spirit, can actually confirm this in our hearts. As much as we want to fight you, as much as we're reluctant, as much as we're trying to be careful or cautious, but there is something inside of us, if we're honest, that is curious. What has changed our friends? What this looks like beyond all of the plastic, two-dimensional silliness that just doesn't make any sense and shouldn't. And so I just pray right now for every one of us here that you would confirm in our hearts what's appropriate here in response. 
And I just pray right now, Lord, for every Christian here who has been diverted, distracted, Because what we've, we may have had, even had a heart to see people come to know you, but even in that, we've, we've tried to win people with silly things instead of actually showing them who you really are and what it really means to have life. We recognize joy is seldom seen outside of a trial. Genuine, pure joy. Peace is seldom seen. Genuine, your holy peace is seldom seen outside of a challenge, outside of discord. And love is seldom seen anywhere. Selfless, surrendered, serving love. And I know that you've come to give us life because you came to give your own life to give that life. That's what a good shepherd does. So I pray for every believer here, every Christian, that you would today, here in this room, would you please ignite us with the desire to represent And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if there be any, and I'm not going to embarrass you, you know where you're at. You know that there's a choice to make. And and you may not understand everything, and I don't either. And there's been so many false representations that have been so far from the simple truth of the statement Jesus made here. But today in this room, you recognize that he's calling to you and he wants to love you, to give you life. And if that's you, just pray this prayer with me right now. Jesus, if you really did have me on your mind when you died on that cross to pay for all of my guilt and shame, to take my death and pay for it fully, that separation between me and the Creator, our Father, your Father, He did resurrect as you promised here. So you're living and wanting me. If you genuinely really want me and you want to give me this life, as contrary as this may be to my own natural behavior, I want to say yes. I want to say yes to you. But here in this room, even in this moment, my heart beating quickly that you would Save me for myself. If you really didn't make me to be with you, let me see the difference in my own life. I'm handing myself over to you. Jesus, believing you died on the cross and rose again just as you promised. I'm giving you the opportunity now to make something amazing out of mine. So, hand me to you. Be the architect of my reinvention, I pray. Jesus, in your name. If you agree with that prayer, I simply ask you to say, Amen. Lord, cement these decisions. You tell us that when one person does this, all of your angels in heaven rejoice. Let them sense that even now. Jesus, in your name.